everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Ruby Story. Uh, this week, we're talking to Taylor Jones. Taylor, do you want to say hi? Hey there. Now, you were on episode uh, 425 of Ruby Rogues. We talked about Webpacker and Rails. Um, do you want to give us a little bit more of an introduction, who you are, what you do, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, my name is Taylor Jones. Uh, I currently work as a support engineer for Heroku. Uh, or Salesforce, but uh, Heroku is an entity, an entity that uh, I work for. Right. Um, just basically helping out uh, everybody from RubyS to uh, first-time JavaScript folks or any language that we support uh, get their apps up and running uh, on Heroku, but also how to better optimize them for the platform as well. I gotcha. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So do you mostly work with Ruby then or JavaScript? Um, so if you... If any you or any of the viewers know anything about Heroku, uh, it's it started off as a mainly as a Ruby on Rails platform, mm -hmm. and so historically, like by default, we have a ton of Ruby apps. So a lot, like I would say, probably one out of three tickets I deal with are Ruby based. Okay, but especially and there's the kind of reason I talked about the Webpacker in the last episode is that um, we're starting to see a lot of uh, Node apps on the platform as well. And right. So, um, everything from you know basically legacy Rails to whatever the new node hotness is. We support Python, Java, um, Scala as well. Uh, that's always a good one. But yeah, nice. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, so this is more about your story, your journey into programming and into uh, Ruby in particular. Um, though we may dive into some of these other stacks depending on how much sure. experience you have with them and see you know kind of how you got there. Yeah, I remember early, early days, Heroku. Um, I think it initially started out as kind of an in-browser IDE. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, it became more of the hosting, you know, Git push platform that it is now. H how did you wind up over there? Man, that's... I think it's kind of funny that I got on this because it's actually, actually a really good story. Um, so I, um, I guess years ago at this point, uh, I went to Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama for computer science. Um, uh -huh. Basically, as part of uh, my education there, I snagged an internship with this company uh, in Birmingham that actually wrote .NET software. And so I got exposed to that whole world of .NET and, and stuff like that. But uh, I basically ran the QA department for this .NET company. And the, the product they built was for like desktop computers at the time. Right. And it was kind of the right before the cusp of when we were really delivering everything through the internet and just having web-based uh, apps and stuff. So I would have a lot of downtime at this place because oftentimes it was literally one of those places where you'd run a build and it'd be, okay, 45 minutes in this build until you... <laughs> so, you know, I'm just kind of sitting there like, well, I looked at the last build and I said yes or no to it, but uh, what am I going to do now? And so 
started just kind of digging around for tech talks and stuff like that. And um, I think just through, uh, actually, I think Zed Shaw wrote um, how, how to program Ruby the hard way forever ago. And I, I picked mm-hmm. that up. And I'd kind of just been learning Ruby a little bit, but I was like, I want to, what's like, what's the deal with this? Like, can I put, I really like the language. Like, can I put it on the web or what's the kind of hot thing to do right now with Ruby? Right. So uh, I started learning Rails in my free time. And so um, it was pretty interesting because I was like, okay, like, you know, a lot of the resources around that time were mentioning Heroku because uh, Heroku still does to this day. But back then, that was the biggest thing. They had the free tier. So basically, if you yeah. just have an app you want to deploy, you do get push Heroku Master and you're, you're set. There's no really cost up front from that. It's not a, not a trick. There's no like weird like, oh, yeah, no, like, it's like free for the first 30 days. No, like you could just put up there and just leap to the end of the time if you wanted to. So um, I got really interested in Heroku like, years ago. And I'd use it as, as a Rubyist. And so anyways, um, kind of time went on. I, I you know, did my internship, went back to college, uh, worked for like a PHP web development company in Auburn where I went to college for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I did a few Rails apps where I could there. Um, they were kind of like, hey, deploy a site. And I said, well, you know, I could either use WordPress, which is great to spin up something quick, or I could just do something quick with Rails and, you know, kind of design the views myself. And so... Um, mm-hmm. I started trying to do that, but out of co- it wasn't until I got out of college I landed my first like Ruby gig, or more like where I program Ruby day to day. So I worked at a small consultancy in Birmingham uh, called Motion Moms, and I, I did some stuff for them for a bit. We kind of built this. It was kind of like it was like headfirst into just like okay, not only like professional rail stuff, but like big time stuff. So we did this giant project where. It was actually my first introduction to like Ember JS and Rails mm. and API and doing stuff at scale and Ooh, the deep end. <laughs> yeah, like for real. And, it's and nice over here. Well. <laughs> yeah. So it was just insane. Yeah, yeah. So it was just kind of like death by fire hose for that. Sorry. So did that for a bit and then moved on to uh, Orlando, Florida, where I am now. Uh, right. It's called, and I worked for this place called Azia for a bit and we basically did like social media influencer marketing platform uh-huh. stuff. Um, that was the first company I worked for with the actual like product on the internet. Mm. That that was the primary thing, right? So your experience with like not merely like, like continuous deployment, but like, hey, our money maker is this thing that has to be up all the time and has to be working all the time. Right. It has to be like killing it. Whereas the consultancy is like, hey, we could technically ship a bad product, right? And uh, we would get our money. We would get any return business, but we kind of just ship it and leave it there. You don't care about what you did or what some uh, person did three years ago, right? And so a lot of my work at Isaiah was like, all right, we have to kind of undo ourselves out of this corner we read ourselves into before you even showed up. Um, right. So did that during that time, I um, started speaking at conferences a lot more. So I did RailsConf for two years. Uh, Distant and overcomp for a year. Basically, started taking the stuff I was learning at uh, Isia and beforehand out there and kind of showing that. So, I talked a lot about actually microservices um, and monoliths, that whole like age long debate, but more so the experience that I was seeing at Isia with that. Um, mm-hmm. Because we were in the middle of like, okay, we have this giant like Rails app from years ago and we want to do all this stuff, but if we're honest, we haven't been good at like stewarding that thing. And so maybe the maybe the solution instead of fixing it, it would be to like, you know, just go and uh, break it up into smaller things. So at least right. like the service is super all we can replace it. So 
kind of talked about our journey with that and uh, the good parts and the bad parts. And that was really, uh, I kind of wish I'd, I probably need to go do like another talk about it. Uh, if I, but like, I think that for me, it was cool to kind of watch that like bigger software development thing going on. So where the reason I mentioned the conference stuff is that um, I've actually met a few folks from Heroku around at conferences because they're really present, especially in the Ruby and Rails community. Right. But you know, all like programming conferences at this point these days, like we have people everywhere sort of, and it's great. Um, met a few uh, folks from there and just kind of kept in touch for a couple of years. And opportunity opened up uh, last year to join their support team. And I was like, yes, please. So uh, went through that, kind of passed the, uh, the test there and have been there ever since and loved it. Um, but it was kind of a weird full circle moment for me for being like, I, you know, not to be like all nostalgic for myself, but like, oh, I remember being like a kid and being like, man, like I really would love to work for this organization and I really mm-hmm. love this product. Um, and a lot of the people at Heroku like came from that background too, where they're like, man, like yeah. I resonated with this for years. And, and so like joining this now is really cool. And so, um, it's, it's really cool to kind of see that, but it's also interesting to see something that was like groundbreaking years ago, continue to try to find a way to keep pushing forward. Right. Because if we, right. like, if you're around long enough to like see the early days of Heroku, it was just like, it was literally like DevOps invented mm-hmm. for something. Um, and so now we're kind of stewarding like the, okay, how do you like do things at scale like really well? Right. Beyond just getting started. Like why is Heroku a good platform for you to host your giant company app on as opposed to say deploying directly to AWS, Google Cloud, any other kind of thing right. that's out there right now? Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I love, uh, there, there are so many things I just love about that story where it's mm-hmm. essentially, you know, it was a place you thought you might want to work. You met people at the conference and a lot of folks, they, they really get this idea that for whatever reason they can't, you know, be it imposter syndrome or, you know, it's, it's kind of this pie in the sky thing that they're never going to have. And it turns out that if you go put yourself in the right situation, you can have it. Oh, yeah. Like it, it's, it's really like a classic kind of thing of learning to like, I think the, thing, the theme I was thinking about earlier was that. So I think it, it's a theme of going places, right? And treating people well. Not yeah. with the agenda, right? Because you can mm-hmm. go to these conferences and meet people who are like, I really want to work at this place. And so I'm going to kind of try to like, kind of squeeze my way to that. And I, I think that like, there's certainly a, a effectiveness to that. But I think that what I loved about the friendships that I made at Heroku before I worked there, they weren't like best friends, but they were just people that like, I really liked a lot. And uh, I, I, they really liked me, I guess. And so like, it was cool to kind of just keep up with them over the years with no agenda. And then by that time that like our interests aligned, it was like, oh, like, cool, like, let's partner together. Let's do something cool. And so um, it was kind of one of the coolest. I've seen that kind of return in my career a few times before with like dividends like that. But this is the biggest one in the sense of like, oh, this is like actually where I really want to go. Not just like, hey, this, a bud of mine forwarded me a freelance project from somebody or something. Those are cool too. But uh, Heroku was probably the biggest. I worked a few of those contract that somebody sent up, sent my way because they didn't have time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so one of the things that I like to just get from people is how did you get into programming in the first place? So I always like had trouble answering this, uh, when I was younger because it felt like I, I said a bunch of things about like different things. as interesting. I would say the biggest thing though, and it sounds so corny, but I hear this from a lot of people is video games. Uh, I, I, I really, really, really loved playing video games growing up as a kid. And I think that for me, it was really cool to see uh, like, okay, how's this made? I, w- I had that curiosity of like, I like this thing. 
I like computers, I like video games, like whatever. Like, how do I make that? I think when I was younger, I was like, I want to make video games. And then when I got older, I kind of looked at the margins that people get paid for and the hours you do. And I'm like, I don't know about that. But um, for me, it was like, I took that with college to me. So I was like, all right, like <laughs> when you're 18 or 19, you go to college, it's almost like the people that you, you feel like you walk in and somebody's like, choose what you're going to do for the rest of your life now. And you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> You know, like it, it, it's so hard to, to feel that way. And so I think that for me, um, it, computer science is the thing I chose. Um, and I think there was an element of stubbornness to my life because uh, computer science, uh, at least when I went to school and I, from the last time I chatted with people, it's a lot of math. And like, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, at math, but it wasn't like a man, like math is my passion and my forte, what I love to do. And so I think that for me, it was, it was cool to see like, um, it was cool to see like me kind of push through something I wasn't as like stoked on, yeah, uh, to get through that thing because ultimately the the couple of programming classes I had were until maybe about a year into college, uh, mm -hmm. out on top of your, all your basics. So uh, the thing I was first introduced to was Java actually, and so right. which is a bit of a confusing place to me to enter as like a Ruby, like getting into Ruby because like at the time it was just kind of like everyone's like, oh, well, you should use Rails because Java is like not good. And I, you know, like, I remember those. Yeah, like you know what I mean. Like that was like Java was the big bad person at the time. Yeah, we're not Java. Come to us, right? Or it's like we're not .NET or whatever. Because honestly, in 2010 when we went to college, like it's weird to think, but like a lot of companies were still kind of uh, holding on to like big Java, like desktop apps were still making money from this part, and uh, you know yeah. the, the internet was something that people were like looking to get on, but I don't think anybody had made a, a gold mines with money off yet. Um, and so a lot of companies were like, well, yeah, like we write that we have this enterprise legacy Java app or the C sharp app or uh VB script app or whatever that we're doing. And we An want enterprise to... legacy app. That just sounds like no fun. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, you know, it costs like $12,000 to like even like get the license to code in that sort of business. Right. Yeah. Like, like if, so it's like interesting, like not to, degrade on Microsoft, but like, it's like, it's interesting how the company went from like, basically pay us money so you can code to like, we're going to give you awesome free tools and then you're going to uh -huh. do it. You know? So that's kind of how like Ruby came into perspective for me. It was like, okay, not only is this like effective cost, effective, like, you know, e there's no barrier to entry on this. Um, it's actually a bit more fun to do uh, and a bit more pleasing and easy to learn as opposed to, you know, you go into these, like, like these companies that I work for, it's like, man, like you just, you're working on like one component <laughs> and you have no idea. Like it's, it's just so massive and so hard to understand. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of the thing for me. So I, I got into, I got, I learned Java and learned that kind of point of view, which was really good. I, I think still to this day, because, um, I think that sometimes the things that Ruby is, if you, if you start out on Ruby and you stay with Ruby, you never had like the gory experience of like understanding kind of how stuff from the lower level works or maybe how, or, or maybe even appreciating what other things do. Right. So I think the closest thing that honestly has come and I think it's nice is like go reminds me a little bit of Java in the sense that like it's compiled a little bit lower level, but like it's, it's nice because like you have to, yeah, understand the trade-offs between like kind of maybe a language like Ruby that's more dynamic and maybe it's more compiled um, mm -hmm. and more lower level. And so for me, I, I think I kind of, explained a little bit earlier in my story where it's like for me it wasn't that i hated those things um right. i was fully willing to spend the rest of my life coding those things if it meant that you know that was what i was doing but i think i just found like there's this there's a 
if people always talk about like a little bit of joy or a little bit of happiness or a little right. bit of just like pleasure with like actually programming, it doesn't feel like I'm kind of fighting a system as much as I'm just kind of doing and designing and, and, and implementing what I want. Uh, so that stuck out to me like really huge in the early years. A few years ago at a JavaScript conference, I was approached by Nader Dabit. And you might know him for the React Native Radio podcast. He's also a developer evangelist for Amazon. And when he came to me, we had a conversation about React Native. And the thing that I love about React Native is that it's approachable, it's web technology, and it's cross-platform. And it makes a lot of things really easy for developers to jump in and do interesting things on mobile with JavaScript. So we've had this show now running for several years, React Native Radio, where we interview people about the React Native ecosystem, some of the things that are coming out in React and how they affect mobile, and other options that you have for mobile development. So if you're doing mobile development, you're doing it in JavaScript, you're looking for a good option, or maybe you're just trying to stay current with React Native, then go check out React Native Radio at reactnativeradio.com. Yeah, when I got into school, it was the same thing. They were teaching us Java. Took a couple classes in C and C++, but I was computer engineering major, so they were pushing us more toward the lower level stuff like C. But yeah, it was the same deal, you know, intro to programming was Java. So yeah, I definitely hear that. How did you how did you wind up getting exposed to Ruby then? Uh, I I have a hard time like remembering what the exact moment is. Um, but I think for me it was, I think it was this point like Zed Shaw's thing was a big deal. Uh, like the book that you wrote, Learn Ruby the Hard Way. But I can't remember how I got into that. I think it was just a combination of people on Twitter mentioning a lot. Uh, I think. Around the time I got in the Twitter, like DHH was starting to get on there and start mm-hmm. kind of causing a ruckus. And so <laughs> naturally, you hear, hear about that. Like, I think Aaron Patterson had just kind of started getting like pretty popular too. And so right. um, a lot of the early programming people I followed on Twitter too happened to be Rubyist. One, I kind of like the, the style of those people just because they're, they see like more of themselves, not the dis right. in the community. But I think it's just like, I really, um, there was something cool about like, okay, these, these guys and girls are like talking about like really, um, they're they're talking about a bit newer stuff, a bit different stuff, but they seem like they're having a lot of fun, and so I kind of want to see what it's about. If yeah, so I, I would say a lot of the people like Aaron and DHH and any of else I'm missing off the top of my head. Like I think that they were just people I followed on Twitter early on. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, these guys and girls seem like they're having a ton of fun and having like doing some different stuff. And even if that stuff is kind of lame to me or not like as cool to me, like I at least want to check it out and see what it's about. And uh, that kind of got me interested in Ruby. And I haven't really looked back in a lot of ways since. I think I've just really always loved the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just the more people I met from it, the more people were like, yeah, I think we kind of like connect on a a similar level in a weird way. Um, Not that any other programming language doesn't make me feel like that. But I think it was just like I really enjoyed being around people who code Ruby because I feel like that we kind of value the similar things. Because when you... Ruby, you have to kind of be bought in a little bit to what it's about. Yep, I agree. So what are you working on now? So <laughs> Heroku is interesting in the sense that the product's already built, right? Right. We're, in a lot of ways, part of us is maintaining a product that already exists. Um, we're working on some cool stuff that will hopefully come to light today soon. But uh, for the most part, for me as a support person, like I quite literally am supporting that so I don't really do a lot of maintenance on the apps themselves. But uh, for us, it's like really... A lot of my work these days is actually learning 
It, it feels mm-hmm. like, and that's the thing that I always loved and respected by my friends who worked at Heroku. Is I always felt they were learning. Uh, and it's really the truth for me where it's like, a lot of my day is certainly answering people's tickets and you know, helping dive into these right. issues that are like beyond like, you do have people that come up and say like, Hey, like I'm having trouble, uh, you know, getting a Ruby app going and like, they're it's totally awesome. Like I'm totally glad to help those people. And it's super cool to watch people kind of have their first experience like programming and like watching that, like become something on the internet. Yep. Like, that's really cool. But also the other half of it is like, Hey, we're a giant enterprise company that uh, Heroku's on and like this thing broke and we want, not like we want some people are like we want answers, but some people are like, can you help us like figure out what's up? Right. And a lot of that's kind of investigating and stuff like that. So it's it's either helping advise people how to kind of get started, or it's like doing some hardcore performance analysis mm-hmm. on apps and kind of DevOps mm-hmm. looking from a certain point. Outside of that, it's really like trying to either learn my own stuff or trying to. Uh, better familiarize myself with what we're doing to kind of help contribute. We have a, actually a lot of, um, and I really hope that our supporters are just going to talk about this more, but it's like a lot of really impressive support infrastructure that we've rolled ourselves. Um, we certainly like third party services to help make things happen. But for the most part, when you file a support ticket at Heroku, it's actually through software that we wrote right. and maintained, um, which is super rad. And I really hope that we continue down that path. But We've actually created a system that's super uh, incredible. So a lot of stuff's actually like helping developing tooling around supporting that, like supporting support in a weird way. And the other half of it is just trying to figure out kind of like how we can best be useful to the organization. There's a lot of... When I joined a year ago, uh, things are completely different as far as what's ahead than there is now. And we have some exciting mm-hmm. stuff, but kind of there's the shifting of resources and all that stuff to, to whatever we're doing next, like kind of leaves out like things that need to be owned and helped out with. And so um, there's also an element of it that like we help out with like helping our friends in open source. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so because the one of the biggest actually I think products that Heroku does, and we usually have people that own this like physically for their job, but uh, is like build packs. So uh, contribute to that. But there's some things that have fallen behind the wayside. Like for example, um, I we have some people helping out with this, but like for example our Ember JS build packs a little bit mm-hmm. kind of just community maintained. And so would love to like pe- a lot of times support people to help out like maintain stuff. I've been doing some work on Webpacker recently to kind of right. help with their documentation, but a lot of it too is just understanding like it's worth my time and my effort to understand how stuff, how projects like that are going to and making them better. Because not only do we have documentation issues like for something like Webpacker when somebody opens a ticket, but um, I would actually say, and this definitely the case of Rail Six is that. Uh, Webpacker is kind of a really, really important cog in what's going on with uh, Rails apps now. And a lot of issues that we have come up are like, hey, like I'm having this Webpacker thing kind of go wrong. How do yeah. I debug it? Because it's so new for so many Rubyists. And that's not a, a drag on their skill. It's the fact that they have a new technology that they're having to like really mm-hmm. learn how to debug and grapple with. So for me, like it's a lot of my work is understanding contributing to those things but also trying to keep up with whatever people are doing on the platform these days yep so uh yeah i I love it i love the contribution to open source and Mm -hmm. you know some of the ideas around um you know what you're doing there and i love that uh heroku likes to support that stuff because it's it's important and a lot of times it just gets missed so Mm -hmm. that's that's really cool so do you see yourself uh, moving up to i guess like full-on full-time developer or 
do you love doing the support or like, you know, I'm, I'm curious where you see yourself going from here. Sure. Um, yeah, that's a big like conversation I've had with myself this year and, and others at the company. I, I think it's, I love the support aspect because I think it's like the best part of being able to not only teach people, mm-hmm. but like learn in a weird way. Like I think about sometimes it feels like, yeah, you're just like answering tickets. You're just doing the next thing to the next thing. Right. But really having this experience of like understanding how people are doing things at a high scale. Heroku itself is awesome because it's like an open book of how to use something at a high scale. Like, you know, we are an app helping deploy apps. But yeah. I think for me, it's it's hard because it's like this kind of... It, it doesn't feel like uh, like Hogwarts or something like that, but it sort of does, right? Where it's like, <laughs> what like house you want to be in because we have like so many different specializations. And so right. it sounds kind of trippy, but the past year has really just been trying to get heads or tails and like what the heck is going on and what, what do we do and how does all this, all this work? Right. Because um, I came up with my like knowledge of like how to debug Ruby apps and how to mm-hmm. do performance analysis and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, how do I like, like I've got the point now where I can read a ticket and I'd be like, oh, if something's wrong on our end, it's here or right. it's there. Um, but even like learning from the people that do that. So it's kind of like, it's this weird thing where you kind of, uh, so I could, I could, the answer is I could do support for probably like my rest of my time there. Like it, it'll be a blast. Um, it doesn't feel at all like I'm like, oh, well, like maybe one day. Like it, it really feels like this this kind of really sweet deal where I get to like develop on my own terms and help make things better and also just learn and be a part of this awesome organization. Um, but there's also an element of you that's kind of asking myself, like, like I do miss full-time, full-blown development in, in a lot of senses too, right? Because you it's fun owning a product and working with it and developing it and making it better and having that experience of like, you know dealing with the highs and lows of that. So I think that's kind of... I'm kind of caught in between that a little bit is asking like, man, what what's next? But I think for the time being, it's uh, at least for looking forward for me, it's kind of keeping doing the same thing I do and probably just starting to share more and more about the things I'm learning through that. Because it kind of felt... It didn't feel like a career reset, but it felt like a reset of what I do every day. When I was giving talks about a year and a half ago, I was talking about like developing a product every day. But now I'm talking about seeing snapshots mm-hmm. of really sophisticated and wonderful products every day and something, somehow jumping in and contributing something meaningful to that while also understanding uh, what in the world are we doing. Like, you know, I, I thought that deploying to AWS is hard by yourself. Uh, imagine writing a system to actually do that automatically. Right. <laughs> like, maybe yep. fine, right? And so that's hard. But, um, yeah, that, that's kind of where it is at for me. Nice. Yeah, I, I got into things in support when I was working in support. I mean, I'd been programming before that. Um, I was finishing up my degree in computer engineering. But yeah, you know, I, I felt like while I was there, I was making a difference. You know, I was helping people. I was taking care of uh, mm. problems and it was super positive. And so, yeah, it's it's always interesting to me to just see where people end up with, you know, where they are and where they think they want to be. So. Yeah. And I'll, I think the thing I'll add to that is that like, I think we've found that there's a lot of people that actually, it's not that their programming shops aren't there, right? But it's almost like that their skill yeah. set and what they're so awesome at is like stuff like documentation and explaining and teaching right. and stuff like that. And it's like, man, like you would be a killer developer, but you'd also be an excellent support agent and you'd be able right. to do that development stuff in your own terms, in your own way, right? But you'd be able to like really teach people we've made a lot of great hires recently um, from people that like 
lead everything from Black Girls Code to just local chapters and, and helping yeah. out like what whatever's going on in their community and like helping um, people like learn how to code for the first time or helping people how to like sharpen their career skills, like whatever. Because of that, we've been making a lot of strong hires from people that are really good at teaching and communicating. And that's been really, really cool um, to see because like... One, it helps our team be more well-rounded from a perspective right. of like, what's your background? What are you good at? Um, but two, it also helps like our team get better. Not only because we know those people can contribute killer features and mm-hmm. program the way they uh, they want to and be able to make uh, good contributions to our code, but also that they can really provide an awesome uh, contribution to our learning infrastructure. Uh, a right. big part of Heroku is Dev Center, which requires its own programming, but um, at the same time, it requires a lot of maintenance of articles and documentation. And so like part mm-hmm. of what we do is like, you know, if we see that uh, we have people kind of running to the same issue over and over again, or getting tripped up over a paragraph, or there's something our engineers didn't communicate and, you know, the process of shipping this really complex feature, then we add it to Dev Center and help help make that better so that like, you know, it helps create less tickets on our side. But it also provides a better Heroku experience. Like, there's nothing like more satisfying, in my opinion, to be able to like kind of have a quick search and figure out your answer, as opposed to diving through documentation or like if you've ever searched through like a maybe like a not well maintained open source project or something like that, where you're like, how do I do this thing? I just want to know how to do the thing, and you're like, right. your five pages or whatever. No, that makes sense. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington, from the Food Fight show, and we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight show, where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. Very cool. Well, I guess the other thing that I I, want to just uh, cover for a minute is that a lot of times we talk about, okay, this was your career arc, this is, you know, what, what you've done with Ruby. And we don't really get to see the person behind the code, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I see some guitars behind you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, a lot of times it's just interesting. You know, we hear from people, oh, well, you know, they, their family situation is interesting. You know, they've got a, a bunch of kids or, you yeah. know, a life partner or somebody like that that means something to them. Yeah, they have hobbies like the guitars or you know something like that so so who are you like if if i met you on the street and you didn't know that i was a ruby dude and would you know we could talk about that what what else would we wind up talking about 
we probably end up talking about music probably uh, because uh, yeah, for me, like I'm a big uh, guitarist in the area. I uh, play with some few folks around town. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually part of what I like about Orlando. It's, it's kind of weird. I've actually like I grew up in the deep south, which has a lot of great musicians, but uh, Orlando, I guess, because of the theme parks or something, like they have great. Uh, there's so many stupid talented people here. So I do that a lot. Um, I have a son uh, and a wife, and uh, just kind of love hanging out with them. We live in Orlando, so yes, we go to Disney World. As cliche as that is, um, we're not there like all the time, but we like doing that. Um, I really like um, I really like, like how cities are designed. That's a big thing that I I'm into. I think that. I have some friends that actually do urban planning for a living. Uh, not that that's maybe in a, like a weird life, I could probably do that. But um, I'm really interested in kind of how stuff's made, how it's designed. Right. Um, and so that's that's why like I feel like that I like programming. But it's programming feels more like an extension of that curiosity, and that and it happens to be quite profitable, which is great for me. Um, so the joke I make I actually made this coworker the other day is like he was saying like yeah like you know I. I do music for fun and I do programming for the bills and some more fun too, right? And it's right. kind of true. But for me, it's 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 music, it's design, it's kind of I've been trying to get back into the discipline of actually like reading and not only being well informed, I had this bad habit of like I was so well informed on like like events going on around the world and like news and all this stuff, but then I realized like I have like zero creativity. So I've been trying to like challenge myself to read actually fiction this year. Oh wow! Not just like biography about some guy or girl, as interesting that is, or some sort of social issues book. Like, but I, I read a ton of those in 2018. So I've been trying to do fiction this year to enjoy myself a little bit. Um, but other than that, I mean, like, I just became a dad like a year ago. So a lot of <laughs> a lot of the past year has been like, how do I just parent, and then right. fill in time all the rest. So it's felt like it's work parenting, and then the thing that's eaten up the most time is music. But that's been really good because it doesn't help me take my mind off those things, but it helps me kind of reset my mind and my body a little bit. And just be like, all right, let's let's go, let's go for another round of parenting here, you know, and uh, knock it out. So, yeah. Well, parenting gets more interesting as you move on. I'll tell you that. <sighs> yeah, that's the thing, man. That's been really funny about Heroku too. And it's actually what sold me about. It, not to get back to that, is that like everybody there is a, a family man or woman, and so like, yep. they really uh, like. Like it's a really great place to raise a family, but it's also a really great place to just be. Like I'm also like, man, if I was like single and I'm just figuring out life, like man, this would be a great place to work too. But yeah. um, it, it was really encouraging because like it, you hear all these stories like about people who are like, yeah, like my daughter just graduated like college, and you're like, wow, like I have so many questions, you know, <laughs> right? Because like, you're you're way down the field for me, but um, I have a lot of people who are kind of the same classes me of like, hey, we're either starting our family or we're learning to raise toddlers at this point. And so uh, all the insanity comes with that. And yeah, the, the advice it has, like, it doesn't get easier, but change mm-hmm. in good and bad ways. Yep. Yeah, definitely. It's more fun in some ways and less fun in other ways. So yeah, so like my son's like really mobile now. And so like, it's exhausting. It's, it's exhausting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. The, the flip side of that is, so my sister, she has a she has a baby. He's almost one. And yeah. so he's just, you know, he just rolls around on the floor. Yeah. But, you know, so the, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a pain in the sense that, oh crap, we got to move everything out of his reach. But the flip right. side is she doesn't have to hold him all the freaking time. Yeah. And then you have to so, chase him around the house. Like that's yeah. the thing. It's like, like that was what blew my mind is like, I was like okay, you're walking down, but so you're just going to be like slow. 
And then we went, there's just like a week when we went from like, okay, just walking to like, you're practically running to a yep. toddler's extent across this house. Um, and I'm just yep. trying to sit down and like drink my dang coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait till they're 13. Exactly. Um, anyway, um, if people want to follow you online, where do they go? Where do they find you? Uh, I've yelled at my online presence a lot lately, but I'm actually uh, trying to get back in the game of that. So I'm on Twitter under hi, I'm Taylor Jones. So H-I-I-M Taylor Jones. Uh, and that is also the address of my personal website. Hi, I'm TaylorJones.com. Got the branding down. Uh, love it. But so for me, those are the two biggest places that I'm trying to put stuff up there right now. Um, I'm working on some changes to stuff, so I may change up all that. But uh, for now, probably the most reliable place is Twitter. If you like, follow me on GitHub. I am on GitHub. Um, probably won't see a lot of my contributions because they're private or uh, they're just like random public projects to do. But right, um, always great to keep up people in there. And uh, I'm hoping to be out at some conferences next year. Maybe we'll see. Uh, kind of cooking on some stuff there. But for the most part, probably Twitter is the best place to keep an eye out. Good deal. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, the last part of the show is picks. We do these just like we do on Ruby Rogues. Uh, yeah. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? <sighs> um, man. Yeah, give us a good book. That's always good. Yeah, I'm trying to find one. <clears throat> well, while you're looking that up, uh, I can go with a couple of picks. So, yeah, what you got? Um, last week I went to Jamstack Comp. Mm -hmm. That's oh, uh, wow. it was out in San Francisco. Yeah, and I really had a good time. It it was a terrific conference. Um, for those that aren't aware, Jamstack Conf is uh, well. The Jamstack is JavaScript APIs and markup or markdown, markup, yeah. Yeah. markup, not markdown. I guess you can use markdown to get markup. Anyway, sure. So, um, anyway, it's basically you know static sites and things like that where you know you put JavaScript on top of it. So. They had yeah. folks there talking about stuff like Gatsby and Jekyll and yeah, all kinds of stuff. And it was really great. And um, I, I see a movement there. I don't know if it's going to like take over the world per se, but it, it's definitely, I think, going to grow and, and find a niche um, out there for people. So I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I also just ran across a bunch of great companies there that were sponsoring. I'm just going to encourage people to go check out their sponsors, though, rather than call them all out. And then the other pick that I have is um, I've been listening to this um, podcast by, uh, I think his name is Tom Bilyeu, and mm -hmm. it's called uh, Impact. What is this? Impact. Every, everything is impact, impact, but um, it's impact <laughs> theory. That's what it's called. Yeah, Tom Bilyeu. And he, he interviews people and uh, talks to people about success and, um, you know, uh, grit, mental fortitude, uh, entrepreneurship, a lot of great stuff. So I'm really enjoying that as well. So I'm going to pick that mm. um, as as my picks. Cool. I got some. Uh, so the book I was trying to think about, I read, that I really loved. Uh, Super Pumped by Mike Isaac. Really, really good book. Uh, mm -hmm. Like devoured it in like three days. It's about Uber. Uh, and oh, if nice. You if you subscribe to New York Times, you probably heard some of the reporting from Mike about it. Um, but it's a really, really well written and like interesting detail of just kind of not only startups, right? I thought it was just gonna be like a historical thing, but actually be ended up being one of the better design slash ethics books. It's kind of like the mm -hmm. idea of like how certain things come to fruition or don't come to fruition. Uh it's obviously not the complete truth of what maybe happened at Uber, but it was a really interesting perspective that I really, really liked a lot. 
um, podcast. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm really into like the You Need a Budget podcast lately. I don't know why. I've, I've used that product for a couple of years. Uh, it's really, really cool if you don't... Oh, do they have a podcast now? Yeah, they have a podcast. That they just, it's like four or five minutes. It's super interesting. A lot of resources around that that I've kind of enjoyed. Because um, it's helped kind of explain some of the design decisions. Again, like I'm super yeah. interested in like the design behind things. And I think that uh, if you if people who use it or don't use it or never heard of it, it's interesting budgeting software that's really... Uh, a bit more opinionated about kind of how it goes about things, but it works really, really well for a lot of people. I have a couple of friends that have like gotten themselves uh, from like really bad place financially to like a really rocking place financially yeah. because of it. And so that's, that stuck out to me, but um, I've just really loved hearing from that, that team about kind of how they uh, think about things. Yep. Yeah. I just find it interesting for a couple of reasons. One is they're a local company. Uh, yeah. Two is their CEO. I met him at a conference and I told him he needed to start a podcast and he blew me off. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I was that. right. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You could, you could just email him now and be like, Hey man, uh, not that yeah. you're on this. His name's Jesse not. or something. I, I don't remember yeah, exactly, but yeah. Yeah. So Hey Jesse, if you're listening to this, uh, Charles. Yeah. Anyway, I, I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. But, but that was like five or six years ago. So. Yeah. I mean, like, everybody has a podcast now, right? Like you've been doing podcasts for a second, but like now everybody, like, I would yeah. be surprised, like if Publix down the road, I would not be surprised if they started a podcast. Oh yeah, um, I, that's that's where I see things right now. We're still kind of in the middle of hobbyists. Uh, a lot of the media companies are getting into it, um, yeah. but yeah, I think within the next five years, a lot of the companies who want to build a brand are going to wind up starting a podcast. A thousand percent, because it's it's a terrific way to connect with people and let them yeah. know who you are and why they care who you are. So yeah. Right, and we do podcast production. I'll just throw that out there. If people yeah, are thinking about starting a podcast. So. I love it. All right, good deal. Well, thank you for uh, hopping on and talking to me, Taylor. Of course, great always talking to you. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up, and everybody max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.